HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit Corin.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hello and welcome to Cooking Issues. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live on the Heritage Radio Network every Tuesday from roughly 12 to roughly 12.45. From my... <laughs> Where am I today, Stas? Bushwick. Where? Brooklyn. Well, you forgot to say Roberta's Pizzeria. Oh, yeah. Well, that's a given. This didn't go well. You're supposed to, like, you gotta bub bub bub. There's no other place. You gotta bub bub. You gotta do the bub 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 bub. Bub 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 Okay, so we have, as usual, in the studio, Nastasia the Hammer Lopez, which you referred to in a question as the Hammeress. Did you like that? Did you enjoy the Hammeress? Yeah? And we got Dave in the booth. How you doing, Dave? I'm good. How are you? Good. Call in. Oh, by the way, we have a special guest on the phone. I'm not going to bring him on quite yet because i got to tell you what. Who he is? Although, actually, you know what? Are you there, uh, yeah, he's been Professor? Waiting. Are you there? He's been waiting. Hello. Ooh. Hello. Hey. So we have a special guest today, uh, Charles. Now, Doctor Charles. Now, you're, he pronounces his last name like '70s disco style, Lefevre. Even though it's written Frenchy style, Lefevre. But you go by Lefevre, which I think is like a thousand times better. What do you think, Stas? Yeah. Is that true? <laughs> Yeah, Lefevre's the American. Yeah, yeah, seriously American, which I, you know, everyone here knows I appreciate. And uh, Professor uh, Lefevre, or Dr. Lefevre, is the world's authority on, uh, specifically on Oregon truffles, but all things truffle. He is a, uh, you're a mycologist, correct? That is correct. Is there a subspecialty within mycology that deals with uh, truffles? Oh, no, there's not a name for it. You could make one up, though. Truffleologist. Truffleologist? Ectomycorrhizologist? <laughs> so, uh, so, so anyway, so uh, how do you like to be referred to, by the way? How, what, what do you want me to call you? Uh, Charles, that's fine. Okay, Charles. So uh, call in all of your truffle-related questions. Now, as I said, he, he actually has a, a company where he grows 
uh, well, he cultivates uh, European um, tuber melanosporums in Oregon, as well as collects uh, the local domestic Oregon truffle varieties and searches all over the country and the world for new, interesting, unused, whether they taste good or whether they don't, uh, varieties of truffles. So you can call in any, any and all truffle-related or probably any uh, mushroom or mycological uh, questions to 718-497-2128. That's 718-497-2128. So let's get let's just get started right away and let's talk about kind of why don't you just give the, the um, by the way our uh, our listeners here the cooking issues crowd is not afraid of uh of uh technical jargon or uh complexities or anything so you don't need to like hold back or anything why don't you just basically explain what a truffle is what is a truffle well truffle's a mushroom and but i should say unlike other mushrooms they depend on animals to disperse their spores. So where mushrooms will disperse their spores in the wind, truffles depend on animals finding them, digging them up, eating them for their dispersal. So and that's kind of key to the whole understanding of why truffles are expensive, because they, you know, imagine they're, they're hidden in the forest, out in the wilderness, it's cold, it's wet, it's dark, and they have to somehow convince some animal to come find them. So they just uh, they use every trick they can <laughs> to attract animals from as far away as they can to eat them, and uh, it, it explains why they're expensive. Now, so so let's so so let's just, they're underground and they're like the the fruiting body of these uh, these funguses that fungi that uh, live in close proximity to certain tree roots, right? That's right. Yeah. yeah, they're in a in a mycorrhizal symbiosis with the tree. That's both the fungus and the tree need each other. Now, and the hard part about it, right, is is that these truffles they they only they don't grow with the tree for its entire life, right? Don't you have to find like like a specific like this particular one likes to live in trees that are between like fifteen and fifty years old? Isn't it like all weird and crazy like this? Yeah, there there is ecological succession on the roots of an individual tree. So, yes, uh, different truffles live within a different window of time on the roots of the trees. Fortunately, almost all truffles live on very, very young trees, which is why we can cultivate them. So, like, how long? Like, so, like, like let's say you're going to go, uh, like, oak hazelnut, like, European style. Like, uh, like, what are we looking at for the age of the optimum age for truffling up a tree? Well, the, uh, among my customers, the very youngest trees that have produced truffles have been three years old. Huh. Cool. And so you actually do you, you are you sell uh, like trees with uh, that have been inoculated with the spores or no? That's correct. Yes. Just so you know, whenever I say spore, Nastasia, my co-host, co-host here, like she detests the word spore. Maybe you can make her not hate the word spore so much. <laughs> you can think of a spore as a seed. Yeah. Yeah. Serves the same function in the life cycle of the organism that a seed does. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, any tech. Technically, obviously, not correct, but makes her feel better. So, all right. Uh, but the um, so now here's here's my other uh, thing. So one of your I don't even know where to start because I got so much to uh, so much to deal with here on uh, on the truffles. So let's go back to this smell. So all truffles because they all live underground. By the way, how far underground are we talking? Oh, anywhere from actually on the surface where you can see them to three or four feet deep. Three or four feet? Can a dog smell three or four feet deep? Yes, they can. The world's largest Italian white truffles live sound three feet deep. 
I wonder how it tasted. Is there any difference in taste between depth? Is there any sort of, like, in a particular region? So, assuming there's a terroir for a region, which I'm going to have you talk about in a minute, uh, is there any relationship between size and depth and flavor? I don't know that there's any connection between size and flavor or depth and flavor, but there could be. There's certainly a huge variation in flavor from one truffle to the next. Yeah, because And it's, it's, it's likely that the host tree has an impact on their flavor, and then... And, and, the region very easily could. But there may be more variability from one truffle to the next, even within a place, than there are between places. Really? So like a, a tuber melanosporum, the perigord truffle, the black truffle. Uh, so if you were to take it, I'm sure you have, I don't know, but if you take a, one that you've harvested in, um, in Oregon and you were to somehow take one that was harvested in uh, France and then fly to some point in the middle so that they each were out of the dirt for the exact same length of time and they were the same, you know, relative size and whatever, uh, would there be a big difference in flavor between the two that were grown in different areas, assuming they were on the same kind of tree substrate? So far, nobody has, has shown that there is a difference between truffles grown in the natural habitat versus truffles grown outside the natural habitat. But, of course... In different regions of Europe where truffles are grown, um, there's, there's a perceived difference. Like the truffles from Perigord are the most expensive, where those from Spain are a little less expensive. Even in, and is, but, so with something that's this expensive, you would assume that people have figured out tests for faking it, right? Because there's <laughs> a lot of money involved. Is it, but in other words, like, is it one of these things where it's very hard to tell the difference between where they come from and so you can have people selling one item as another and, and provenance just becomes something you have to kind of take on faith? Or <laughs> Absolutely. I think probably uh, the majority of truffles that are coming from Paragord are, are actually harvested elsewhere. Huh. And, well, but the, the, now the thing is, is that like a lot of things that are faked, right, like wines, uh, you know, there's a difference between um, – fooling an expert and fooling, uh, you know, a relative novice, right? So when you're faking an old Bordeaux, you just have to get close to faking an old Bordeaux, and you're going to, 99% of the people aren't going to be able to tell the difference. Um, But sometimes experts can, sometimes they can't, and it has to be done, you know, with actual analysis. But you're saying that even experienced expert truffle eaters and cookers and preparers probably wouldn't be able to tell the difference between, let's say, a Spanish uh, tuber melanosporum and an actual French one? I think that they probably could not reliably tell where the truffles had come from. But there's one possible exception to that, and that's with the Italian white truffles. Their, uh, their aroma, their shape, and their color does vary from one place to another. So truffles from certain regions are, more, are flatter, others are rounder. So that might be one clue for the next group. And do you, but do you identify? Do you attribute that to to local conditions or to basically like almost? I mean, they're not cultivars because not cultivated, but varieties. In other words, I think it's more like local conditions. How compacted the soil is, how rocky the soil is, whether the truffle has to grow around roots and rocks and things. Okay. So now, now when it comes to uh, truffles, right? No matter what they are, they all have, uh, I mean, how do you describe it? They're all funky, right? So it's like almost, they're not, the majority of them are supposed to be found by what? By rodents? Things like rodents? You know, uh, yeah, the, the definition of the word truffle is that they depend on animals to eat their, their to disperse their spores. The, the term animal is very broad, so it can be flies or slugs or rodents or mammals. Uh, there are even examples of birds dispersing them. 
Huh. But uh, I mean, but the but in other words, like they're not shooting for carnivores specifically. So even though dogs are carnivores, they happen to have good noses. They're not aiming at carnivores. Right. So carnivores are the one group of animals that do not eat truffles. They're not the one, but they're one major group of animals that does not eat truffles. So why is it that I mean, dogs presumably are good just because their sniffers are good, and you can train them to sniff out anything. Uh, and right. by the way, you train people how to train their dogs, right? We do. Yeah. You sent me some. Uh, he actually he sent me some information on training. I was able to train uh, my, my black lab. The, my smaller dog hasn't got taken to training yet in general, but I was able to train major big dog, my lab, to find uh, truffle oil anywhere in my yard. Mm. But I wasn't able to find any tuber, uh, any truffles on my, on my property anywhere. But my uh, – the like, professor also sent me – or Charles also sent me some uh, Oregon truffles, which we'll talk about in a minute. And I was able to get Major fairly easily to go find the shavings from the outside of it oh. all over my apartment. So it's not like it's not rocket science. If you have a good dog with a good nose who can follow basic commands, you can train them to go look for truffles on your property, yes? That's, that's right. It's very easy. Yeah. Um, anyway, so we'll get back to that in a minute. But my, my main question is, is that why would something that smells animally attract uh, non carnivores, herbivores. It seems strange. If I was going to attract an herbivore, if I want to attract flies, I get, right? You want to have some sort of like weird, funky animal carrying something, right? Some process of uh, something doing something funky. But with, uh, with like a mouse, like what the heck? Like why wouldn't it give off some sort of like delicious carrot smell or some sort of like something that you think would attract an herbivore? Why does it give off these kind of animal notes? I mean, in other words, my point is, are the animals looking for something other than food? Boom, boom, boom. But then they and they find it. They're like, I can eat this thing, and they eat it. I mean, what do you think? I, yeah, I I think all those things. Um, so I, I think it's very likely that the truffles and the animals that disperse them have co-evolved, and that different truffles tune their aroma to the physiology of the animal they're trying to attract. So different truffles are wildly different from each other. Some of them probably do smell like carrots. Others smell like fruit. Hmm. Uh, some smell like juicy fruit gum. Do you like, do you like juicy fruit gum? <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. When you find it out in the, in the dry forest up a tree line in some beautiful setting, it's an, it's an amazing experience to smell juicy fruit gum. Gum coming out of the ground. <laughs> right, fair, fair. Now, so now here's the point that uh, I think one of your main uh, point. And by the way, you, you guys should know anyone who's near uh, Portland or you know near that area. Next week is the uh, Oregon Truffle Festival that uh, actually you host, uh, Charles. That I'm going to be going to along with Peter Meehan from Lucky Peach and Harold McGee. We're all going together, and we're going to go out and find truffles and cook with truffles and eat with truffles. And it's a it's a grand old time. And I'm, we'll actually get to meet in, in person. Um, but um, so when you're talking Oregon truffles, one of the things that you get kind of everyone if, let's everyone's biased and they really like. The you know the white like the um, you know the classic uh, tuber magnatum white truffle from Italy or the Perigord the uh, black truffle tuber melanosporum and everyone's like these are the best everything else blows and um, partly I think one of the th- your th- points is is that most of the other truffles are not harvested in a way that is going to produce good truffles which I'll have you talk about in a minute but I think the other thing is is that people don't allow for difference right so. They can just be these other truffles, like the Oregon truffles that we're going to talk about. They can just be different. They don't have to be the same thing, right? No, they're wildly different. The 
the town, the Oregon white truffle smells like pineapple, where the Italian white truffle smells like garlic. They're wildly different from each other, and they're used in different ways. Man. And I actually find, in my experience, that people's preferences are kind of set by the truffles that they experience first. Right. By the way, Anastasia, are you a big truffle person? You like truffles? I like white ones. I don't like black ones. You don't much. like black ones? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's well. Anastasia only likes either either she. She just wants the most expensive possible, <laughs> no. most expensive possible no, one. No, no. And by the way, I brought, I have with me the left, uh, what's left of my uh, stash of truffles. We're going to shave them on top of the pizza that we have here at lunch with the Bertas. But I bought the worst, like the crappiest truffle oh, shaver. I went yeah, to freaking uh, Sur La Table and bought this. And it's made in Italy, but it's just garbage. It's just the gar- most garbage truffle shaver. By the way, what we're at before we get into this, are you a believer in um, in trimming off the outside uh, with a with a paring knife, or are you a, a rubbing person? Or are you how, how how do you like to do it? I think actually there's an aesthetic appeal to having the rind around the, the edge of the slice. I keep it on. And then, but do you like then? Do you rub it, or do you don't wash them? Right? I mean, what do you do? Oh, we do wash them. Yeah. So you, you don't want the soil on the truffle. Right. So you just um, wash, pat dry, and then shave. Yes, exactly. All right. Um, so you're not a believer in paring them down. Do you think you're throwing stuff away, or you just like the, you like that just like that line around it that shows the difference in color of the outside of it? Yeah, that that line on the outside is attractive. But you it's, don't it's think it's part of it's actually a quality uh, yeah. criterion a truffle that's the size that will fit through a shaver. That's nice and round, so that you can get that entire line. Actually, makes that a more attractive truffle. All right. Okay. Now. Um, now, the, the two main truffles that you guys are, are doing, first of all, one of them, the Oregon black truffle, isn't, isn't a tuber species. It's a different species, right? That's right. It's Lutangium. And then is, that, is it like a super closely related or no? Uh, they are fairly closely related, uh, as are the desert truffles from North Africa. Huh. They're all in uh, but I noticed when you, small lineage. When you cut open the Oregon uh, black truffle, the winter black truffle, whatever you want to call it, it, the the black lines on the inside aren't as distinct as they are on like a melanosporum. It's like much more. It's like gray and cream instead of like like blackish gray and cream. Would you, would you say that's accurate or no? Well, it varies. Uh, and actually, the the appearance of the interior of the truffle is is a good indicator of the quality of the truffle. So the more contrast there is, the more black and white they are. That's a more mature truffle. And the same is true for the Oregon black truffles. But instead of marbling on the interior. Oregon black truffles are a kind of salt and pe- pepper speckled black and white. Right. So maybe that's what I was uh, focusing on. Now, the also the Oregon black uh, truffle, it seemed to have kind of uh, like a, a lot of more kind of roasty soy kind of notes than uh, than the white one did, which, as you say, is more has more kind of fruity, not in a bad way, but like solventy high notes, right? So the white one is more right. like a high note truffle, and the other one's more like a roasty thing. Do you ever use them together, complement each other? We do use them together often. Um, but actually, you're telling me that, that that you're getting these roasty notes from the black truffle tells me a lot about that truffle. The black truffles have an enormous variety of aromas that they can produce, and when they're they're youngest, they're very very fruity and sweet, and they develop more savory notes later on. Well, I actually took some of them that smelled sweeter, and I made an ice cream out of the... I actually thought I was going to like the black ice cream a lot more than the white one, and the white one was more animally. Also, the white one had more kind of classic mushroom notes to the taste than... Uh, I mean, it had those, these, like, truffle notes as well, but it also has the white, uh, which is, I guess, so what's, what's the species there? It's uh, uh, Tuber Oregonese, right? Or- the, um, That's right. 
they, like that one, along with the truffle notes, had some classic mushroom notes, at least when it was made into an ice cream. I mean, do you agree with that or no? Well, yes, and actually the, the way you prepare the truffle uh, can influence whether or not you produce that mushroomy aroma. When you, um, it, so when you first said that, it, it made me think that you had grated the truffle and shredded it. Uh, and on that, the white, I did. The, the, uh, in the ice cream, for the white one, I, yes, I did. That, that mushroomy note is a product of the tissue damage from grating the truffle. Huh, so if you don't want that, you just leave it whole or? Or just uh, create less surface area. Just use a single slice, something like that. Yeah, I sliced the heck out of it and then macerated it in cream and egg yolk and then spun it into yeah. an ice cream. Yeah. Uh, and I did... uh, so, and the, the, there's an interesting byproduct of this, which is uh, that mushroomy uh, compound is one octane 3 just the smell of mushroom. And it uh, is not present in a fresh truffle. And it only it only is produced by the truffle when the truffle is damaged, and it's uh, most noticeable when the truffle is frozen. And it, it starts; it's an unattractive aroma and something you don't really want it. Really, I don't know. I like the taste of mushrooms. I can understand why you're saying if it's an indicator that someone did something they shouldn't have, right? Then I can see how it's uh, it's kind of like it's like any trained olive oil uh, person hates any sort of fusty or like. Any sort of like fermented notes in their in their olive oil, whereas people who haven't been trained to hate it don't hate it. You know what I mean? So it's it's uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, so in other words, when people when they're buying um, like for instance expensive white truffles and they're testing to see whether they've been frozen or not, what they're looking for is a mushroom note. Oh, it's obvious when a truffle has been frozen. It's soft. It loses its integrity. The marbling is gone in the interior. Uh, a frozen truffle is ruined. Is there any way to? Is there any good way to freeze a truffle? Like in other words, like if I were to do it quickly, like in liquid nitrogen, can I preserve the the structure of it without ruining it, or is it just hosed entirely? Well, that would be interesting to try. Uh, uh, I imagine it's the ice crystals forming in the interior that uh, damages the tissue and invokes that enzymatic reaction to produce the one octane three L. Right. Well, truffles uh, are quite light. Very quickly, that might not have a chance to happen. Yeah, but you can't freeze them that quickly because they're so light. I mean, that's the thing. It's like I imagine that it's fairly poor conductance through a truffle because they have a lot of air in them. So I wouldn't imagine that you could get as rapid a freezing as you would like. So in other words, so when you freeze an egg yolk uh, slowly, you denature the proteins to the extent that the egg yolk remains solid after it thaws. If you liquid nitrogen freeze an egg yolk, then uh, when you thaw it again, it goes runny because the, it, ha- it hasn't had that, it didn't have the time to complex as it was going down as it was freezing. And so it comes back basically to its raw state again. Uh, but, you know, egg yolks can be, egg yolks are very high in water and dense. And so, it's fairly easy to freeze them fairly quickly. I imagine a truffle, which is much, much lighter than water, uh, would um, probably not be as easy to freeze quickly, although we could test it. Hell, we could test it. Yeah, that'd be interesting. The one thing, though, I think it's important to know is that the, the value of a truffle is the aroma itself, not, not the body of the, the organism. So if, there's, if you capture the aroma in something else, that's the most authentic uh, authentic way to store a truffle, at least to store the experience of the truffle. So to capture that aroma in some kind of fatty food, say eggs or cheese or meat, <laughs> right. um, is the best way to store it rather than freezing it. 
I tell you, they, they, my whole refrigerator smelled like them when when uh, the stuff was in there, and and we've become accustomed to it now in the studio. But we have them here in the studio inside of their plastic containers, and they still the aroma the aroma goes right through a plastic deli container, and like into I mean, there's you know fills up the whole the whole area. Now, but to go back to the aroma and like how much stays versus cooking. So the argument against uh, what's the the uh, the truffle de chine, the Chinese truffle? Which truffle is that? Um. Uh, sorry, the bad connection. You, you said what's the difference between the no, no. Like what, what, what truffle variety? So it, one time when I was in France, I went to uh, Rongis, which is their market, and I was talking to their truffle guys, uh, and then they they showed me these like basically these Chinese truffles, which they call truffe de Chine. And then the guy said to me, he's like, they smell fine when they're you know in this box. He says, but they lose everything when you use them, and so they're relatively useless. So w- uh, what about the first of all? What species is the is that is the Chinese truffle that they're selling? And secondly, what about this? Like uh, they they don't maintain their odor when they're being used um, in a culinary sense. And is there just strictly like more odorant to stay around in like a Melanosporum or a Magnatum than there is in some of these other species? That Chinese truffles are interesting. It's a complex species. There's vast diversity in China that people are discovering right now. So there are any number of species that could be. The most likely species is tuber indicum, which is very closely related to the French black tuber melanosporum. Uh, but the reason, I think the primary reason that they have such a bad reputation and their prices are so low is because of the way they're harvested. They're, used, they're harvested with rakes like potatoes and another difference between a truffle and a mushroom is that a truffle needs to be ripe in order to have its culinary value and so like a fruit in that sense it's uh it, there's nothing to gain by harvesting them immature the way there is with a porcini or a centrale so you have to let them mature and each truffle ripens at a different time over a three-month period typically uh so an indiscriminate way of harvesting them produces mostly immature truffles that have no culinary value. So that's the primary problem. So, and and you say that's the same problem with Oregon truffles, right? The majority of of domestic truffles that are harvested are not harvested using uh, dogs or other form of animals smelling, right? Right. Right. That is the the main reason why Oregon truffles historically have been inexpensive and unappreciated. Hmm. And and so you're on kind of like a, a mission. You and your cohorts are on a mission to basically say, "Look, it. Um, we're going to sell these ones that are harvested by dogs. Now, uh, not harvested by, but ser- found by, hunted by, uh, by right. dogs. But you know, one of the problems I've noticed with lots of things in this country, for instance, uh, country ham is to, comes to mind because it's something I've worked with a lot, is that when you don't have a, an easy way for consumers to know what they're purchasing, right? It's hard to get the extra value on top of um, of, of what you're doing. So, you know, and I, I was talking to the country ham producers. I was like, look at, you know, country ham has hugely widely variant qualities. Uh, and, you know, the definition is basically just based on a particular procedure. It's like, do you have some sort of label or consortium or some sort of way that a consumer could very easily tell, you know, this this one, other than 
assuming that they have knowledge and they can smell it and they'd be like, this one has a great aroma and this one is relatively useless. Uh, is there some sort of like way that you guys are trying to get together to uh, let the consumer know what's what? There's a lot of conversation about that, but it hasn't happened. There's no certification yet. But it is obvious. The difference is obvious. Anyone can tell. It's the difference between a truffle that has no aroma and a truffle that has lots of aroma. <laughs> right, but someone could, someone could have a jar full of rice and truffles at their place, have like one or two ones that are decent, that happen to be decent, and it stinks up the whole truffle jar, and then you buy the one, you know, that got raked out, and you're hosed, right? I mean, like, you know, you take it home, and you're ruined. That's right. You have to sniff every single truffle. Each truffle needs to have a strong aroma of its own. Just just smelling the truffles in a jar is not good enough. Hmm. Now, how long, like, like uh, so how long do you think these suckers last? Like, how long does one of these last versus, is there any difference in keeping time for an Oregon truffle versus for, like, uh, one of the European varieties, or no? Oh, well, there probably is, and, and, and it really depends on what characteristic you're looking at. The European truffle will stay intact longer, but it loses its aroma just as fast. So in terms of their, their real value, their culinary value, the shelf lives are comparable, and it's just a few days long. Hmm. And uh, by the time the truffle is a week old, it's lost most of its aroma. Even, even under refrigeration? Even in refrigeration, uh, and regardless of what species it is, but there are exceptions. I mean, we've, we've managed to uh, keep truffles in great condition for 10 days or two weeks. It can happen. And the, the storage conditions make a huge difference in how long the truffle lasts. What's the optimum so, condition? Uh, well, uh, a truffle is alive, and it needs oxygen. You need to let them breathe. Uh, but if you give it too much oxygen, it'll expire more quickly. So it's, it's regulating uh, the oxygen and CO2 in the container where you're storing them that will extend the the shelf life. So we keep them in like a Tupperware container in the refrigerator with a paper towel underneath to absorb excess moisture. That's another thing. You need to keep the surface of the truffle dry. Uh, or it'll just start to like, uh, just start to go soft and crazy, right? Right. You may have noticed that with your black truffles. They got wet looking. Yeah. You have to blot them dry every day. Some got wet looking and some didn't. Yeah, it was like, you know, you couldn't tell. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. It, but com- like commercially, is there like can, you can extend it by tightly controlling the oxygen in the environment, or no? You know, one of one of our speakers at the Oregon Truffle Festival had, had a patent on an edible film that just uh, limited the oxygen supply to the truffle and extended the shelf life. When you say extended, that, but extended it at maximum quality, or is it extended it at okay quality? In other words, are you saying that like you're going to get the perfect experience, or you're going to get like eighty percent of the experience once you extend the shelf life? Well, that's a great question. <laughs> I don't know the answer. Yeah. Um, huh. So when you're talking like you only have a couple of days, like how fast are these things getting to market? In other words, can you enjoy these things on the East Coast or is this like a you know, West Coast or done kind of a situation? I do think truffles are the kind of food that it's it, they're best experienced at the source. So it's the kind of food you need to travel for. But we can definitely get a good quality truffle to the East Coast in a in a day, but is that something you're and interested they, in? Are you interested in extending the range, or are you more interested in promoting tourism to Oregon? Oh, both. We'd we'd love to have a thriving truffle industry in Oregon. Mm. What do you think about the but, pecan well, we truffle? Def- you like those we, things? We definitely invite people to come to Oregon to experience hunting them and and experiencing them at their source. There's one interesting phenomenon when you're using a dog to find the Oregon white truffles in particular. 
there's this puff of minty aroma that comes out of the grounds that only lasts a few minutes. Right when you get it and out, you mean? I'm sorry? Right when you get it out? Right when you get it out. It's this beautiful aroma that only lasts a very, very short time. Huh. Can you capture it in alcohol? You might be able to. Uh, but a lot of the aroma compounds are soluble in alcohol. What do you what do you think uh, before before we uh, before I forget? What do you think of the pecan truffle? You're a competitor down uh, down east there. Do you like those things or no? <laughs> well, actually, uh, we have a customer who's the first uh, commercial grower of pecan truffles on inoculated trees, and that's in Southeast Georgia. So no, they're not competitors. Huh. We we actually sell pecan trees with pecan truffles on their roots. I think the pecan truffles are very good. The smell is like malt balls. It's not particularly powerful, but it is attractive. Huh. Yeah. Okay. So, you, so you're not you're, you're like you're not a huge fan, is what I'm hearing. You're like you're like they look good from a mycologist point of view, but not your favorite culinary truffle. I think they're great. I, I you'll never hear me express a preference from one truffle over another. Oh yeah. Well, you know, my last name's Arnold, and they found a truffle in the Arnold Arboretum. And uh, the I don't know whether you, I don't I don't know whether you know um, the the person Matthew Smith who wrote the article. Yeah, and he said that. And I'd like to get your opinion on this because you, when I spoke on the phone with you a couple months ago, you said that there's undoubtedly truffle species in Connecticut where I am. And uh, he writes, New England's acidic soil, harsh winters, and year-round precipitation are, in quotes, not optimal for truffles, at least not the European varieties that people usually eat. Is that true that like uh, New England soil, like we're going to have them but probably not delicious ones or do you disagree with his assessment? I do disagree with his assessment. I think it's uh, certainly, the winters are cold, too cold for in the Northeast. Too cold for tuber melanosporum, but there's still the tuber borki that was found in the Arnold Arboretum. Uh, this, you know, introduced species, um, and so we ha- some of those European truffles are already living and fruiting in the Northeast. <laughs> uh, and then there are, there are native species. There's tuber canaliculatum and tuber leonii that both live in the Northeast naturally. You actually inoculated some trees up in uh, in uh, at Stone Barns, right? Well, you're right. We shipped some trees with the uh, tuber Stephen, the Burgundy truffle. How, did they work out or no? Are they growing? That was, they were planted just a year ago, and uh, I'd love to go visit them. I don't know how they're doing. Listen, if you ever come out to uh, in the Connecticut area, I'll take you know come up, and I want you to find whatever truffles we have here. You have an open invite to come find whatever. Like I say, we have. Uh, Hemlocks. We have uh, three or four varieties of hickory, three or four varieties of oak, mostly of the red slash black oak group. Uh, so you know. Anyway, they are all- any, any of those trees. In fact, all of those trees do have truffles living on their roots. I would love to find truffles in Central Park. I know they're there. <laughs> well, why not? You should do it. Have you, do you ever come to New York? You, you know, I, I, you could bring I my dog. Like to. I actually just heard a lecture about a, uh, a mycologist in in New Hampshire doing a study on truffles, and he's finding unbelievable numbers of truffles in New Hampshire. Well, you know, listen, next time you're in New York, we'll take my dog up to Central Park, and you can, uh, you know, show him where to show him where to look out. Um, I, sh- I should be clear. There are hundreds of species of truffles and only a few that have culinary value. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like, So when you say only a few have culinary value, they all have some sort of smell, right, obviously, or they wouldn't be found. But you're saying a lot of the smells are unpleasant or they're just not strong enough to have a culinary value. Some of them are unpleasant. Uh, some of them are, are really offensive, horrible smells. The kinds of things that flies would love. <laughs> uh, 
Others are, are really interesting smells, like the Juicy Fruit Gum, but that's not a truffle that I think would ever have any culinary value. Why not, like, why not, like, uh, I mean, people like candy cap mushrooms because they're sweet, right? And they have, like, those candy kind of aromas. Like, why not? In other words, like, m- my whole point is, is that you shouldn't try to have a, uh, you shouldn't try to have something, pretend that it's something else, right? But, like, maybe it has some sort of use on its own, no? Oh, absolutely. Oh, there's, there's lots of, Truffles that are unrelated to the to the tuber species and lutantium and desert truffles, they're fundamentally different. That also have wonderful aromas. They could definitely pair well with a lot of foods. So, what's the price? By the what's the going price for the Oregon truffles? Well, that's interesting. Now that we're, we've introduced dogs, we've seen a price increase by about a factor of ten. So huh. the price is bifurcated. The bulk of the truffles are still harvested with rakes, and their prices are are low. You can probably buy either species for $150 a pound. And how much is like or, a, a golf ball size uh, black truffle, how much does that weigh? How many to the pound? Oh, let's say it's at a tenth of a pound. Okay, so that's and 10 bucks. With the dog harvested truffles are, are selling for prices comparable to tuber melanospore. So it's $10 for a raked golf ball and it's $100 for a hunted golf ball. Uh, that would be right. All right, cool. Um, all right. So, like, I look forward to uh, meeting you, and we'll talk more about it. Uh, no one called in their, their uh, truffle. By the way, we, why we is it We actually called? do have a truffle We have a truffle related question? Line, oh, yeah. let's, let's do it. Let's do it. Are they on the phone, or they're on... Uh... On the line. All right. Uh, caller, you're on the air with, uh, with uh, Dr. Lefevre. Hey, David. It's Alvin Schultz in uh, Houston. How are you? Nice. So, uh, so, so, Charles, I'll let you know. Alvin Schultz, friend of ours uh, in Texas believes that Oregon truffles are, uh, this is a show parlance, you'll have to excuse us, enemies of quality. Uh, and so, Alvin, go ahead. So, so I've, been, I've been rethinking that statement. It might have been harsh. I think I would agree with you on, uh, I think it's a different product, right? And I guess my question for the doctor is, uh, you know, how do you find a good, reputable Oregon truffle dealer that's harvesting with dogs versus the, uh, the poorly harvested product? My, my experience with Oregon truffles in the past is not great, especially compared to the European uh, Counterparts, I think all, all dogs are harvested. Charles, did you hear that? Uh, I, it's really rough to hear it, but so, I think the, I understood the question. Is how do you find a, a good truffle dealer who uh, uses the dog harvested truffles because the college experience is that Oregon truffles really just don't perform as well as the European species? Correct. Yeah, so, specifically for how, a, a reputable dealer for Oregon truffles. Yeah, reputable dealer for Oregon truffles. You got anyone? Uh, I do. Um, <laughs> and I know them personally, not the name of their company. So uh, 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 there's a, a harvester named John Getz, G-E-T-Z, who I would refer to anybody. Um, he exclusively uses dogs. And it, it's, it goes beyond that, not just using dogs for the quality control, but then grading the truffles to the point where what you're receiving is all good. So that's his company is one that I can recommend. They're in Florence, Oregon. G E T Z. Yeah, yeah. John. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, 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 he's an Have you tried roto vaping truffle at all? Me? No. Yeah. No, I haven't done any distillation work with it because my my rotovap uh, since we closed the bar down has been pa- is packed. Uh, but you know, I'd love to try that sometime. Have you, uh, Professor? Have you done distillation work with truffles? Well, you certainly could. Uh, the thing is, the truffle is continuously giving off more and more aroma, so you don't really want to kill it. 
if you want to capture that aroma, uh, you might not want to to heat it or freeze it or do anything. You want to leave it intact and healthy and alive and somehow just capture the, the stream of gas coming off of it. Well, we can distill at basically – we can distill it at room temperature in a rotovap. So we do vacuum distillation, and you're not heating it at all. The question is, is would the, would the bath in – so Alvin, what I would do – is I would basically uh, put like an excluder almost and put the truffle in between the alcohol vapor and the um, – put the truffle between the alcohol vapor and – you know in other words, have your alcohol in your distillation flask and then have like a bump flask there that you shove the truffle into and then do the evaporation with the alcohol going through it. So you could capture this stuff without actually having to bathe the truffle in alcohol, which would might you know hose it down. But – I would remember – so, so uh, Charles, you'll correct me if I'm wrong. Like how long can it survive in an oxygen-depleted environment? Because Rotovap is basically in a vacuum. So it's going to be in a vacuum environment for, I don't know, 35, 40 minutes at, at the minimum. Is that going to totally kill it right there or will it last for a while in a vacuum environment? Uh, you'd, you wouldn't want to subject it to so much vacuum that it damages the tissue. But I think it could survive for a while. In, that, in those conditions, you might need to periodically refresh the oxygen to keep the truffle alive so it continues to produce its aroma. But I think it would be fine so, to do that. So, Dave, you're saying you're saying pass the vapor through it almost like a pachuga distillation where they're hanging the, the chicken breast. Yeah. Well, exactly. I mean, what I guess what Charles is saying is that you have this truffle, you spent the money on it. It's going to continue to make aroma for you know for several days. So you want to continue to capture that aroma for several days rather than actually cutting it into it and end basically ending that truffle's aroma production right away by either cutting it and consuming it like we do classically when you could be capturing it over a long period of time. And so I guess what I'm saying is, is yeah, if you did it – if you bathed it in alcohol, it might kill it. Who knows? I don't know. Uh, where – you know – would you it know? does. Yeah, yeah. Whereas if it's just – if it's in – uh, you know, in, in an alcohol vapor environment for, you know, 30 minutes and maybe then you let it come back up and let it bring its aroma back and do it again, you could possibly capture a lot more of the aroma. In fact, you could almost probably do it the, – the vapor equivalent of a soxlet extraction where you're – you know, you, you could probably use yesterday's truffle booze and then redistill that again through the through the you know the the reoxygenated truffle like three four times to get to really concentrate the heck out of it. I don't know. I'm just like saying like the kinds of things that I might try if I had my my rotovap up and running. It may not even require your rotovap in the sense that the truffle aroma will naturally just dissolve in the alcohol. So we we actually have a a partner. The Oregon Truffle Festival has a partner in Bowen Distillery that's making a truffle vodka. And they can do it in two ways. One is to just set the truffle next to the alcohol, and the aroma accumulates in the alcohol. The other way is to extract the aroma from the truffle by immersing it in alcohol. But you'll get more aroma the first time. Because it can produce it for a longer period of time. Right. right. Presumably you'll get a higher instantaneous concentration through maceration, but you're saying that the net effect over several days of letting it sit above the alcohol is a higher end concentration. Right, right, exactly. And also there's that problem of the mushroomy quality, the one octane three L when you macerate the truffle. What about has that person done any tests with uh like convection? Like actually like you know, convecting the surface of the of the headspace to try to get a, a you know a faster, more complete um aroma removal from the from the truffle or no? I don't know their process exactly, but um 
I'm not aware that they've done that. That's what I would, would be, right? You I would do stir it the like hell out of it. Lemoncello, right, Dave? Yeah, well, that's the thing. Remember, there's a crazy that crazy Lemoncello person who never lets the appeals touch the thing. And it was like all the all the buzz of the Lemoncello internets uh, a couple of years ago. Yeah, I'm sure you could do the same thing. Although I think a lot of the components in Lemoncello aren't nearly as volatile and aromatic as a truffle. So you probably have better a shot with a truffle. I, you know, just, plus, plus part of that process was allowing the, the lemons to become saturated with the alcohol and then drip the extract down below. That would, that would actually ruin the truffle. And on some level, you want to have an airflow past the truffle for the alcohol so that you don't tickle the truffle in the process. Because the alcohol will also go the other direction and fill the truffle. You're saying fresh air, or do you think that al- alcohol vapor is going to hurt it too? The alcohol va- vapor does accumulate in the truffle. Hmm. So, hmm. Well, if yeah. anyone wants to send me some organ truffle, my rotoscope is up and running. And, uh, <laughs> I'd be happy to, uh, to, to send those around for you. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Dave, I got a quick eggnog update for you if you want, if you want that today, or I can call back another week. No, nah, give me some eggnog. Sure. Nastasia yeah, so, loves eggnog. Uh, remind everyone, I've, I've been doing an eggnog vertical. I just built the third year, uh, and I tasted the George Washington and Michael Rollman's recipe from early 2015, January 2015. Uh, Ruhlman's uh, update is that it tastes like eggnog. It tastes better, but not, not so dramatic. Uh, Washington's, which is, I think, around 12.5% or 11.5%, get like it's brown funky. Wait, Alvin, you're, 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 break, you're breaking up. What happened to Washington's, which is a lower proof? Uh, it gets real funky, like uh, like beer, uh, fermented milk, and goat cheese, blue cheese. But if you shake it over ice, it's not unpleasant, but probably wouldn't drink too. So you're saying it's an acquired taste, much like uh, much like uh, uh, meat, like old game meat that's been aged for a long time. Uh, I'm not familiar with that, but but the the tasting method I definitely get is like kefir yogurt. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know that I want to pound that. See, I'm not an eggnog. I like eggnog. Nastasia loves eggnog. I like eggnog. I don't know that I want like a goaty barnyardy egg eggnog. I'm just looking at yeah, Nastasia's face. You would have one. You would you would probably enjoy one, but but uh, I haven't found anyone that would enjoy two. Yeah, so it's a one and done. It's not a pounder. It's one of those things that people wrinkle their face and go, interesting. Yeah, one correct. Of yeah, nice. But Romans, Romans is aging nicely, so uh, you know, I'll come back next year with the, uh, the uh, fourth year of the vertical. All right, cool. Yeah, let us know. I always want, I always want eggnog updates, as does, uh, you know, many of the – like Nick Bennett does it, uh, Piper Christensen, like a bunch of people we know are big on the, on the aging eggnog. So, yeah, keep bringing it back. Yeah, maybe I'll send you guys some, actually, if you want to taste it. It's, it's, it's obviously room, room temperature stable at this point. So. Yeah, I'd love to try it. I'll Should try I it. send it to Roberta's attention to you guys? Uh, no, uh, send it to uh, – like you have it in Nastasi's email. Just like send her one. I'll give you my personal address. It's fine. And, then sh- and ship it there, yeah, but not, not over the air. She, even she's not that crazy to give her address over the air. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, yeah, I'd love to try it. We'll try it on the All air. Right, cool. All right. All right, cool. Um, all, right. all right, so Nastasia, I have time for a couple of to take a couple. Of, I, mean, I think you should finish up with Charles. And- all right, wait, Charles, Charles, stay, I, I got I got People have these questions. No, we're gonna get all the questions. I have a question on uh, pressure cooking vegetables, on salting. I have a question on rabbits. Luckily, John's question on rabbits. The rabbits aren't coming back for another couple of months, so I can I can wait on his rabbit question. And then I have uh, the the question is he has all these rabbits. And he lives in a suburban. He wants to catch them and eat them. And should he do that or should he not? I have one on the on the color of cooking meat, which I think is interesting. And actually, 
Uh, I'm doing a lot of work on that now for my next book, for the uh, low temperature book. The color of meat and cooking at low temperature is like super important. Should I do so, uh, Charles? Any of those topics interest you? We can uh, answer one of those questions, and the rest I can put off till next week. Uh, I'm not sure that seems them really pertain to truffles. No, yeah, they're not. They're not truffles. Think about the alcohol conversation, though. What do you say? There's another way to incorporate truffle aroma and alcohol, which is to add. Some something fatty. You you use the aroma into something fatty. Enough. Incorporate that into the alcohol. Actually, have a, a partner of some people brewery that's truffle beer. That's very authentic. Work by Yeah, well, fat washing obviously is a technique that uh, yeah we all know know and love. So you're saying basically do almost like a non florage, like uh, have it transfer to the oil because it can stay over the oil head space indefinitely without damaging the truffle and then mix that with the alcohol and then take the fat off. You can get a fairly – you think you can get a fairly um, uh, efficient extraction that way? Yes, I think so. I, actually, I think the oil is – the aroma is more soluble in oil than it is in alcohol. Um, well, obviously, I guess truffle oil, right? So then you fat wash the truffle oil. You Do you want to – everybody who listens to this show knows that truffle oil is garbage and an enemy of quality and just like the worst thing. You actually say that you have good ones, but like the commercial stuff, do you do you feel the need to say something negative about it or do you just accept that everyone here already knows that it's a garbage product? <laughs> I mean there is authentic truffle oil. It does exist. I, I don't know who to refer to to get it though. Yeah, yeah. Um, Usually a chef makes it themselves. What do you say? Usually, a chef makes their own truffle oil. Right. Uh, the, the authentic truffle oils are not put in bottles and sold in the store. All right. Well, Charles, I look forward to meeting you next week. And McGee and uh, me and I are going to eat the heck out of some Oregon truffles and hopefully find some, maybe even get some of that minty smell right out of the ground. I'll report back to cooking issues. But I gotta get, I'll, I'll do one. I'll do the rabbits. I'll do rabbits. I thought you said that was the longest. It time. is, but it's like it's also the easiest one to answer. The rest of them take a lot longer. So John writes in uh, from New Jersey. Uh, Hello, Dave and Cooking Issues crew. Every year when spring arrives, those of us in the suburbs face the scourge of an R-selected mammalian population boom. The beasts we deal with may look all cute and cuddly, but in reality, they are ravenous rodents with no regard for modern suburban homeowner priorities. I speak, of course, of the eastern cottontail rabbit. They annihilate our carefully tended gardens, destroy our nascent fruit and vegetable patches, and leave poop all over our lawns and patios, and they breed like rabbits. Yeah, yeah, nice day. Uh, well, last year, a local fox was able to keep the population down. This year, I'm going to take things into my own hands. I've considered going straight up Carl Spackler, which is, by the way, the guy from uh, Caddyshack, Bill yeah, Murray's yeah, yeah, character yeah. from Caddyshack. Uh, Carl Spackler and dynamiting the neighborhood, but I think it might be more delicious to trap the rabbits and save the meat for culinary use. In doing my research, I've seen various comments online about how suburban rabbits are not safe to eat and that the meat will be overrun with parasites and other non-good things. This doesn't seem right to me. Are rabbits really that different from other wild game? That's my question. What's your advice on safe and delicious methods of slaughtering, handling, and cooking these rabbits? I was thinking of freezing the meat before low-temp cooking them to pasteurization, but wasn't sure if that was overkill or not. I'm also slightly uh, worried about freaking out my wife and kids and all our friends with this project, uh, but with a delicious result, I expect they'll get over it. Well, okay. Uh, thanks, uh, John from uh, New Jersey. Okay, uh, first of all, uh, they're not going to get over it. Let me just tell you this. They're not going to get over it. People, like some people will get over it. Like if you grew up in a hunting household uh, where people like go out and hunt things, then they're going to be fine with it. If you didn't grow up in that environment, uh, a lot of times they're like, 
meat comes from a store, meat is raised for being killed, and you can't get people around it. It's just weird. You have to suss out your own family on this, but if they, if they say ahead of time that they're not going to be okay with it, then believe me, they're not going to be okay with it. Uh, I mean, I'm okay with it. Now, your second thing is, is what's the problem with uh, rabbits? Now, I also looked online for this, and some people are, like, wildly crazy worried that, like, somehow suburban, uh, you know, rabbits are, like, licking motor oil and, like, you know, I don't know, I don't know, doing some sort of, like, terrible uh, stuff. But if you're willing to eat the products that you grow where you are, I don't think rabbits make a habit of licking up motor oil or, or like, cats, like, eating ethylene glycol or if, you know, uh, you know with antifreeze that cats eat and it kills them. But, I, you know, I don't... I don't know of anything like that. I think that stuff is basically hogwash. What is true is that rabbits in general can have um, uh, tularemia, and you want to be careful about it. So uh, tularemia, in fact, uh, they get it from tick bites, uh, and, and, and I guess there's other vectors, but tick bites is one of them. And it is, a, um, it is easily transmissible from a rabbit to a human being, and there have been cases of this happening. Uh, and now if you thoroughly cook the animal, you get rid of it, but it, it is possible to catch it while skinning the rabbit, so you have to be careful. What you typically do when you're testing it, and, and I looked it up online, um, you know, I looked up you know hunting rabbits to Laremia because people who hunt rabbits a lot, like this is something they're worried about. They're like, look out for rabbits that look lethargic or sick. And then when you when you eviscerate the rabbit, you look at the liver, and if the liver is kind of spotted or speckled, that's a good sign that that rabbit has tularemia. Now you can, and there's pictures online you can you can see in general. As for how to slaughter them, because you're not hunting them, you're trapping them. Uh, I would go to uh, Adam Dan. I I have never slaughtered a rabbit, but it, it was until very recently the last animal that would be slaughtered right where you were going to eat it. So butcher shops that still wouldn't slaughter uh, pigs or uh, or sheep or cows, uh, you know, nearer where their shop is, would still slaughter um, rabbits uh, in their butcher shop. And this would happen up until fairly recently, even after, way after it was illegal, just because it was very kind of simple to do and it was considered, uh, it was a thing that many butchers did. Uh, that said, uh, I don't know how to do it. But there is a book on it. Uh, Adam Danforth's uh, Butchering Poultry, Rabbit, Lamb, uh, Goat, and Pork has a whole section on how to uh, properly uh, and humanely slaughter a rabbit and how to eviscerate it. And I highly recommend his book. He has another one, a whole one on beef. And it's eye-opening on the procedures of how it works. And if you get that book, which is not that expensive on Amazon, the softcover version of it, you can get an idea of whether you really want to go through with it or not because he goes through all the steps of what needs to happen. So the two things I would look up are uh, are the tularemia, how to check for it, how to prevent uh, you know you getting it while you're skinning it, because I think it, I think certain things can get aerosolized, like blood and stuff, when you're skinning it, and then that's where it happens. Uh, it again, you can cook it uh, and be safe, and then on how to butcher and slaughter it. Um, you know, go to Adam Danforth. And then if you still want to cook with it later, I'm going to be working on Rabbit eventually, but probably not for a month or two for uh, my book. So come back, hit me then with some recipes for Rabbit doing low temp. Uh, thanks to uh, Charles Lefevre from uh, the, the Oregon Truffle Festival. And his company is... Um, it's trufletree.com is or trufletree is his website. Uh, but uh, I forget the... Uh, the what, Charles, are you still there, uh, doctor? What's the name of the company? It's New World Truffier. New World Truffier and and truffletree truffletree.com or .org is your is your website. .com. 
truffledreed.com. Yeah, truffledreed and uh, thanks, and we'll see you next week on Cooking Issues. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.